0: Welcome to New Books and Biography. I'm Oline Eaton. The Moreland Spingern Research Center is one of the world's largest and most comprehensive repositories for the documentation of the history and culture of people of African descent in Africa, the Americas, and other parts of the world. As one of Howard University's major research facilities, the MSRC collects, preserves, and makes available for research a wide range of research. Welcome to New Books and Biography. I'm Oline Eaton. The Moreland Spinger Research Center is one of the world's largest and most comprehensive repositories for the documentation of the history and culture of people of African descent in Africa, the Americas, and other parts of the world. As one of Howard University's major research facilities, the MSRC collects, preserves, and makes available for research a wide range of resources chronicling the black experience. As it celebrates its centennial this year, we look back at the life and legacy of Dorothy Porter-Wesley, the woman who was librarian of what was to become the moreland and Collection for over 40 years. Today, I'm going to be talking with Janet Sims-Wood about her new book, Dorothy Porter-Wesley at Howard University, Building a Legacy of Black History. Hi, Janet. Thank you so much for joining us for New Books and Biography. I wonder if you could start things off by telling us a bit about yourself.
1: Well, I am a retired, semi-retired rather, librarian and historian. I worked for 31 years at the Morland Spingon Research Center, and that's the reason for the book. And uh, I also now work part-time as a librarian at the Prince George's Community College out in Prince George's County, Maryland.
0: So I have to say, this is such a fascinating and important and just really, really interesting book, especially to anyone who's ever used an archive. Uh, what drew you to Dorothy Porter Wesley as a biographical subject?
1: Well, uh we are beginning to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Moreland Spendon Research Center. And uh, Dorothy Porter was there for 41 years, and I worked there for 31 years, so I knew her personally. So this was basically a labor of love. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I really wanted to do something to honor her because she was the lady that really got the collection off the ground and was the curator of the collection for the 43 years that she was there. And of course, she was very active until she passed away at 90 years old. Mm -hmm. So she, I mean, she was just a remarkable librarian and archivist.
0: Yeah, that really comes through. And just as a caveat, in the book, you explicitly state that you're going to call her Porter. And as you just did there, you called her Dorothy Porter. And so that's how I'll be referring to her here as well. But I'm interested in how you arrived at that decision, because it can be really tricky when you're writing about women who were married and whose names changed as a result. How did you settle upon this strategy?
1: I think she was known as Porter and I think we explained that in the book a little bit. Uh she was named uh she was Porter for such a long time and I think that's how most people remember her. Uh and sometimes I'll slip up and say Dorothy Porter Wesley or sometimes I'll say Porter Wesley and in the book sometimes people will say Porter Wesley or Dorothy Porter. She always asked us to call her Dorothy. It was a little bit hard for me to do that. I'm Kind of getting used to doing it now, so, but, uh, of course, that was a, a level of respect, but mainly Porter because that was what she was known as for so many years. Mm-hmm. She married late in life. She married, uh, in night, the, the last marriage was in 1979. So, uh, for all those years before she was known as, as Porter. Mm-hmm.
0: So I wonder if you could begin by giving us a quick overview of the state of the study of Black history as Porter was starting out. Because for listeners who are younger and have always had the option of taking an African American history course or a LIT course, um, it might be difficult to understand the
1: point from which she was beginning. Okay, when Dorothy Porter came to Howard, uh, she came there in 1928 as a She came there as a cataloger first. And then in 1930, she was named supervisor of what we call the Negro collection at that time. Well, even Dorothy herself did not have uh, African-American history. She grew up in Montclair, New Jersey. So she grew up in sort of an uh, uh, Irish neighborhood. Uh, So she did not have a lot of black history herself. Uh, So she really didn't know a lot about black history either. And so it wasn't being taught in schools. So she uh, she had to sort of start from scratch. And one of the things that she did, first of all, was to go see Carter G. Woodson, who had started the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, and to get some background in Black history and to start working with him uh, with his what was then Negro History Week and now Negro History, the Black History Month. So she didn't have a lot of history herself, although in her home her father did have books by um Black authors, especially uh, one of the teachers at Howard, uh, he had some of his books. So um then uh, that was, uh, oh, I can't think of his name right now. I'll get to it later. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh she did have some Black history books in her collection. And he also took her to see uh, Booker T. Washington when he came to the area. So she did have a, a little knowledge of Black history, but not a lot. And so it was not being taught. <laughs> and it wasn't a lot of books being published either. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the reasons that Carter G. Woodson started uh, his publishing company, Associated Publishers, because uh, black books were not being published during that time. They didn't think that, of course, you know, publishers, you have to sell books. So okay, they didn't right. think that they would sell. So he started the Associated Publishers as part of uh, uh, the association. And um, so that's how a lot of black books got published.
0: So how did she become a librarian?
1: Well, she, I think she always kind of wanted to be a librarian. She really didn't know what she wanted to do when she grad, graduated from high school. But one of her, uh, the friends of her mother asked her about sending her to minor teachers, uh, college here in, uh, Washington. So that's where she started her, uh, degree. And, uh, she also, um, worked as she was, as she was going to college, she worked during the summers and she worked at, um, at the New York Public Library and that was the 135th Street. A branch in that, which was the Black History Collection, which later became the Schomburg Collection. Mm-hmm. So she started working there, and one of the librarians there really mentored her, and so she really became really started getting interested in uh, in library science. And also while she was at minor, uh one of the librarians kind of took her under the under her wing and, and started tr- tr- uh, mentoring her as well. So she, that she sort of just fell into it, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it became a profession that she really loved. Mm-hmm.
0: So what were her contributions to the field? I know you have a fascinating thing about how she, she had to sort of redo the Dewey Decimal System or just make it sort of contort it to work to what she needed it to do because it, the Black
1: history books wouldn't fit into the classification system. Right. There were only a couple of classification systems that it fit into and, and she felt that, um, that Black history books, just like regular books, should be fit into whatever, whatever section that they, uh, were about. Right. So, uh, that was one that she, she, so she redid the Dewey Decimal classification so that all of the Black history books would fit into, if it was a book on American history, it went into the history section. Mm-hmm. So if it's a book on literature, it went into the literature section. So, um, that was one of the things that she really, really wanted to do. And that, uh, so she made that a part of what she did at Howard University. Mm-hmm.
0: What else did she do at Howard? I mean, what other contributions did she have to sort of the way that the history, I guess the way the books became structured in the archive and stuff?
1: Again, she, as again, she just wanted them to be in the, in the section that they belong in because she didn't want, there were only a couple of sections that black history was put into. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so she wanted that to be where, like I say, if it was literature, she wanted it to be in the literature section. So, uh, but one of the things that the best, you know, the things that she did, of course, was the bibliographies that she published. And yeah. she helped her. She was a very, she really wanted people to know black history. So one of the things she did, she worked with the instructors, especially people like Benjamin Brawley, um, Arthur P. Davis, and a few of the other teachers on the campus to make sure that whenever books came in, that she uh, made them know that these books were there and they had their students to come and use these uh, books. And so she started doing bibliographies so that uh, they would know what was in the collection and they could send their students over to do research. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that she did, she was very, very helpful. And she was very, very helpful to them as uh, because also they were trying to get published as well. Mm -hmm. So when they were doing research projects, She would also help them find materials on things that she needed. And she just helped an amiss number of people. Of course, as I said earlier, Carter G. Woodson was one of the people. And of course, he was work he was writing books and he started Associated Publishers. So she was helping him. She was helping the teachers that came. And then anybody that was doing any topic on black history had to come to Howard to do their research. Mm -hmm. Uh now when she came there. There were a couple of small collections there already. Now, uh, Jesse Moreland had donated his collection to Howard. In 1914, so that was there, and then we had the Tappan collection and a few other small collections. So what she did, she went through the the library to start looking for the books that had topics, Black history topics, and brought them out and put them in the, in the, what was known as the Negro collection, or it later became the Moreland Foundation, and then later the Moreland Spin Gun Research Center. Mm -hmm. But so she took books out and put them in those, in, in a special collection, so that, uh, they would be singled out, um, and she just went through and made sure that all of the books that she uh, was in the collection were in that, uh, in that section. So she, uh, she did lots and lots of research and she felt that doing bibliographies was the way she felt that every librarian should be able to do bibliographies so that if, cause if you didn't know what was in your own collection, you could not tell anybody else how, what kind of research to do when they were coming there. Exactly. So that was a way of getting. Uh, the librarians to know what was in the collection and also to be able to help the patrons that came in. Mm-hmm. And uh, as she became, as the collection became better known, people from all over the world started coming to Moreland Spingarn to do research. Mm-hmm. So she was very, very lady. But one of the biggest things she did, of course, was those bibliographies. Now, some of the scholars that she worked with were uh, people like um, one of the faculty members, Elaine Locke was on campus. Uh, She worked with people such as Langston Hughes, who was doing uh, poetry, literature. And of course, Charles Wesley, who later became her second husband. Um, Some of the later people, and of course, John Hope Franklin, she really did help him a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, later people that came on later, such as Henry Gates. The, and Darlene Clark Hine. So she was very instrumental in, in them doing their research. And she was very, very helpful. Anytime that she saw something that she knew you were working on, on something, she would get in touch with you and ask you, you know, if you were still working on it and let you know where things were, uh, even if they were if they were other libraries, because she traveled, she traveled the world. Mm-hmm. Her first husband, um, James Porter was chair of the art department there. And of course, he went around the country doing, uh, artwork. And she traveled the world as, as well with him. And also she received grants to do things uh, herself. 1962 to 64, she had a um, Ford Foundation grant and she went over to Nigeria to help them set up the nationalized Library of Nigeria. Uh, she traveled to Brazil. She traveled, she just traveled all over the world. And as she was traveling, she also collected materials as she traveled. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she would set up exchanges where she would be able to send things to other countries. They would send things to to, um, to her as well. But she uh, was very, very instrumental in just collecting as much as she could, not just books, but any kinds of artifacts and things of that nature. There's always a story that uh, one of her staff members used to tell, and she became known as the shopping bag lady uh, <laughs> because she was always uh, uh, had something. You know, she was always going around collecting materials wherever she was. And the and the joke was that whenever someone died in in the D.C. area, that as the as the people were taking the body out. She was there with her shopping bag, just you know, going through the collection to see what she could get for the li- to bring back to the library. So uh, she became known as the shopping bag lady. But the bibliographies were one of the things that she really, really um, she helped everybody. Um, and I and I like to quote some of the things, um, a couple of quotes, because one one of the things that I did uh, in the book because I'm a real and oral historian, so I like doing interviews. But uh, so one of the things I wanted to do also was to look at some of the people that she had helped and also talk to some of the people that were still um, that were living today that she had helped along the way. But um one of the first people that uh, she helped course, a long time ago was was John Hope Franklin. And um, he was working on a, he worked for, I guess, around 40 years on a he was working on a man by the name of George Washington Williams and he couldn't find any information on, on him. And so one day uh, Dorothy Porter found a letter that this gentleman had sent to Mordecai Johnson, trying to get into Howard university. So he said that really opened up uh, the research that, uh, that he was trying to do, because he didn't know anything about the gentleman's family and the gentleman ta- George Washington Williams talked about his family and how they travel around. Uh, so it gave him some insight onto the man. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, when he published his book, uh, on John, uh, on uh, George Washington Williams, um, he received, uh, the, the Hope Literary Prize for it, um, because it was such a good book. So he was one of the people that he really, really helped. Another gentleman that, he, that, that she helped a lot was, um, a guy by the name of E.J. Josie, and he was there in the, forties as a student. And she talked EJ Josie into going into library science. And then later on, EJ Josie, uh, as, uh, as part of the American library association, uh, established and became the first president of the black caucus of the American library association. So she, I mean, there were just so many people she helped. Um, she would help, she, again, she had people like Langston Hughes. Uh, she had he and, uh, uh, Annabon to come on campus to do some poetry readings. Uh, so she al- also tried to make sure that people were known and that, you know, and as they were coming to DC, she would have them to come on campus to talk. So that gave the students access to these people. Uh, Arthur P. Davis was also an instructor there on the campus and, uh, one of the books that he wrote was, uh, was, um, Negro Caravan. And, uh, she was extremely helpful to him in getting that, in getting that book done. So he gives her a lot of credit. I found, um, when I was doing research on her at Yale and her collection, uh, was auctioned off to Yale University. Mm-hmm. So that's where her papers are. Uh, he talked about the fact that she, um, she just, also, just almost just turned over the whole resources to them and they were able to, um, really go far beyond what they would have been done of it been able to do. And, uh, he was also, uh, helping, uh, Rayford Logan write his book on, uh, the history of Howard university. So he was one of the copy editors. So again, they both called on Dorothy Porter and she gave them, uh, just immense amount of research, uh, help in getting that book done. Um, now, you know, she was friends with all of the collectors as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the collectors that whose collections actually came to Howard, um, Can you pause for just a minute? Yeah, sure. sure. Okay. Get a drink of water here. Of course. Okay, we'll start back now. Okay, uh, okay. People like um, Arthur Spengarn, whose collection we uh, purchased in 1946, um, and of course the Moreland collection, Jesse Moreland, uh, his collection came there in 1914. So she was friends again with all of the collectors, so they sort of helped each other. As they were trying to, uh, everybody was trying to collect books at that time. Uh, one of the recent people that she helped uh, that was a collector that came after them was a gentleman by the name of Charles Bloxon. And Charles Bloxon has had, uh, was the curator of his own collection at Temple University for many years. But she really helped him quite a bit as he was getting his research done. And one of the things that, uh, he said about her was that she had a profound influence upon my development as a collector. For, for, so the past 40 years, collectors of African-American history and literature have received a significant portion of their knowledge from her pioneering work in preserving black writings. The bibliographies of Dorothy Porter Wesley are indispensable. So she was just so helpful to so, so many people. And um, and a lot of people, of course, gave her credit for the fact that she, you know, that she helped them. People like um, William Lorenz Kantz. Um, Lauren Katz, who wrote uh The Negro and you know, Eyewitness, The Negro in American History, uh, people like August Meyer and Ella, Elliot Rudwick, who did several books uh, on black history and, of course, used the collection quite a bit to get those collections done. So in a lot of books that were published early on during the time that she was working at Howard, you would see uh, that they gave her thanks for the fact that she gave them so much help in the collection. Mm-hmm. And she helped... Um, other people, too. Uh, uh, one of the people that I talked to is a lady by the name of Marilyn Richardson, and she was doing her research on Edmonia Lewis and Ma- Maria Stewart. And uh, she tells the story about the fact that uh, she got a call from Dorothy Porter one day and uh, because she was uh, working on Edmonia Lewis and. So Dorothy told her, she says, she says, just remember, you don't have to tell them everything. So, <laughs> so <laughs> he said, make sure that you keep something so that you, when you publish your materials, that w- that's what people will see at first. That was sort of what she was trying to tell her. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> she was really very happy as a young scholar to get that kind of information. And um, she also worked on, um, was working on Maria uh, Stewart. And Dorothy Porter, she knew you were a serious researcher a lot of times she would invite you to her home because again, she was a collector. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and she collected a lot of 19th century materials. So she invited, uh, Marilyn to her house to, uh, look at some of her materials that she had there at the house. And of course, Marilyn said, she says, I was in research of heaven because I was just going through all this, uh, all these materials. And and she said, Dorothy would come back and say, Oh, I have something up on her under the bed upstairs. And she'd run upstairs and get, she said, I was in heaven. And she said, what happened? Uh she was researching so much because she was leaving that next day. and She wanted to get as much as she could get while she was there. She says, "Well," uh, and so Dorothy Porter came back, and that was when she was about uh, that time she was married to Charles Wesley. And she says, "Well, uh, Charles and I are getting ready to have dinner." She said, "Would you like to have dinner with us?" And she said, "Oh no, ma'am, uh, I'm I'm re- I'm doing my research, so uh, I better I better keep working." And she said that virtual swipe on the you know where came from her parents saying. You don't do, daughter, that's not something you do. You know, when someone invites you to dinner, you say yes. So she said, Dorothy came back a couple more times and she says, so she finally said, well, Charles and I are getting ready to eat dinner now. You said, would you like to join us? And she says, yes, ma'am. So she, people told funny stories about her, uh, and how she, but how she, but mainly they talked about how she really, really helped, uh, people that were doing research and that uh, to get the materials done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she seems like such an extraordinary and supportive woman. It's really
1: oh she was. She was. Um I do black women's history, so uh a lot of my friends of course were uh, doing the same same type of uh uh research. And uh Darlene Clark kind has a real long uh uh statement in the in the book about how Dorothy Porter would help her as she was coming, uh, back and forth, uh, between the archives and, and Morland Spingard Library of Congress. But she really talked about how she, she really helped to put a uh, black women's history on the, on the map because she was really. Of course, doing some research herself on some, some of these women herself, like, um, the, the Ramon family. She did a lot of research on them. So, but she really, really helped uh, Black women's uh, history get off the ground. And all of us that were doing Black women's history, she really, really took us under her wing, uh, to really help us to get our materials. Uh, when I started publishing, uh, bibliographies with Greenwood Press, uh, I went to see her several times and she'd give me little tidbits of information and, uh, tips that would help me as far as trying to get published and things of that nature. So she was really very instrumental in helping folks get their research done. Mm-hmm.
0: And beyond that, she was also publishing throughout her career. You mentioned the bibliographies, um, but there was also the early Negro writing as well, oh, which is extremely yes, important. Yeah.
1: Yes, that was one of her early books. And uh, and it was republished. Uh, in a, Hold on just a moment. I have some information on that. Okay. Okay, now she published that um, uh, book early on. And uh, she'd also published, before that, she published something called Negro Protest Pamphlets by Arnold Press. So what she did with the documents that she had, she took them over to Beacon Press. And uh, so... um, it was a 600-page volume called Early Negro Writings, 1760 to 1873, and they published it in 1971. So um, it was very, very popular book. And then uh, in 1995, which was shortly before her death, uh, Paul Coates with Black Classic Press reprinted that book, and it was it was just a very, very, very popular book. And so I asked him how did he get to reprint that book, and he said it was because I just dogged her. He said I really wanted to do something on on her. And uh, of of her writing so that she uh, and he said she he would check back with her quite often because by that time she was beginning to get very ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, she died a few months after the book, uh, the book came out. Uh, as a reprint but he also had wanted to do some other things on her uh, of of her earlier publications because of course most of them were uh, by that time were out of print but of course early Negro writings was the only one he was able to do because of the fact that she uh she became ill and he was not able to do as many uh but she she published oh so so many bibliographies and I have a a, a listing in the book of of uh most of her writings that she did. And it was just several pages long. She just had, uh, just mounds and mounds of stuff. She, um, for, uh, for instance, for Carter G. Woodson, uh, uh, who published a journal, what was called a, um, journal of black history, which is what, what it became. But, um, and also the Negro history bulletin. Um, she did a lot of publications for them in that journal. Um, she was also for his, uh, publishing company. She, uh, also did reviews. So she published book reviews, bibliographies. She did all kinds of work. Uh, she also had a, in a, the Journal of Negro Education, which was published by Howard, she used to have a regular collection, uh, section in there on current books that had come out uh, in black history. So she was publishing all over the place. So, uh, and she belonged to lots of different organizations as well. Uh, some of the things that she did work on, uh, uh, was uh, David Ruggles. She published several articles on him and he um, he was an abolitionist and a printer and a, pump, a pamphleteer in the 1830s. So a lot of her work was done on uh, people that were in the 19th century. Uh, she did work on uh, a, the Ramon family and one of the people that she worked on um, was Charles Ramon, and then she also worked on Sarah Parker Ramon. And so she did several articles on them as well. And they were, um, out of Salem, Massachusetts. Um, so she did, um, lots of work on them. Uh, one of her, also one of her favorite topics again was, uh, since she traveled a lot, uh, and she went to Brazil quite often, uh, she did this bibliography on, uh, Brazil called Afro-Braziliana, a working bibliography. So, uh, Uh, She wanted to get that republished as well. But, of course, she passed before uh, she could get that to to get that out. She um, also, because she was so well known, she was asked to be on different committees and things. So she also uh, was on that like the editorial board for several organizations. And of course, one uh, was the Black Abolitionist Papers, which came out of Yale. And um, so she um, she worked on that. There was just so much she did that, um, and again, anything that she did on black women's history, she just, um, she was just phenomenal. Um, some of the black women historians that she really worked with was uh, Rosalind Turborg penn Darlene clark Hine, Sharon Harley, uh, Evelyn Brooks-Barnett. And we had an organization called, we have an organization called Association of Black Women Historians. And of course, we honored her. Um, and um, oh, with an award a few years ago before she passed away. Uh, and also a friend of mine named uh, Ruby, Sales, Ruby Sales, we used to do something called at homes. And this was in the tradition of the fact that before we could go into hotels, when we had these literary societies and things, they basically met either at someone's house or at a church. So we started doing these at homes and we were inviting um uh, elder black women in to to meet the community. So what we would do, we would invite someone and then we'd have someone, uh, some people around this lady, the person's age, usually it was Dorothy Porter, and uh, we'd have um, middle-aged people come in and then we'd have students and things of that nature come in so they could meet these ladies. And of course, Dorothy was the one that really helped us. To get the women there, um, we had people such as, uh, Jean Blackwell Hudson, may Miller Sullivan, we had Murray's Tate. So we had these people to come in and to talk about their lives to these people that really didn't know them. Yeah, and she cool. was instrumental in also, you know, helping us contact the people, uh, and also in it. And if she endorsed it, of course, they would say, Oh, yes, we'll come. And, um, uh, one of the best memories I have is, um, the time that we had uh, Jean Blackwell Hudson who became a curator of the uh, head of the Schomburg collection in New York. We had her there one weekend. And um, so, uh, and Dorothy was a very, very, very good cook. And so she invited us over for dinner. And so Ruben and uh, Jane Blackwell Hudson and I went over and it was just to sit at those ladies feet and to have them talk about the fact that they had these collections that they were in charge of and, uh, and to talk about the things that happened as far as trying to get materials and things of that nature it was a phenomenal time sitting there with them and just listening to them talk about uh how they uh got these collections and uh what how they did their work in these various collections so it was really really a a, a fantastic time that we had so she uh again this was instrumental in getting things done and one of the last books that she worked on uh her husband had started working on a gentleman named William Cooper Nail and um he was again an abolitionist he was an author and he was a, a civil servant out of out of Boston and um so uh, she took up his work and uh was finishing that and of course she passed before he um before she was able to get it done so um but her daughter, Constance, finished the book for her and it was published by Black Classic Press in uh, 2002, which is after her, after her death. So, but again, she was still working on things when she passed away, uh, in 1995. She was just a phenomenal researcher. Sharon Harley talks about the time that she would go, uh, and, uh, uh, after she had married, uh, Charles Wesley, she used to go by the house and, and, and help them do research. She said they would start early in the morning and work late at night. And Sarah said, she's, you no, know, she said, I'd get tired and I'd get ready to go home. And she'd say, Oh, you young people just don't have any stamina. You don't know how to work. So, but she said they worked nonstop getting materials out and, and again, helping other people as well with their research. So phenomenal woman.
0: There's someone in your book who called her a historical detective, which I thought was such a great phrase because it really—I mean, she was working in so many different areas all around the central thing, but it's such an
1: extraordinary career, really. Yes, yes. I mean, she um, she went to work for. Uh, she, she had a scholarship to uh, go up to. Uh, I think it was Harvard, um, and uh, she was one of the older people that were coming in the collection at that time. So she was, um, and I'm trying to find here where she, um, uh, uh, when she was there, it was in the late eighties. And, um, so when she went again, she was an elder woman and this was the W.E.B. Du Bois Institute for African American, African and African American research. So, uh, when she went there, she went there in 88 and 89. And what she thought as, as an elder, she thought, well, I, I won't be able to keep up with these young scholars. Well, when she first got there, when the first meeting they had, she says, well, I've only written 18 pages. And everybody was looking at her because they had just was still unpacking. They hadn't started <laughs> writing anything. And when they met so that they could tell what their research was going to be, every person that was had a research topic, she was giving them information on where to find find uh uh information on her top, on their topic so she uh so she they they were just in awe of this woman because she knew something about every topic that they talked about so again she was just phenomenal and one of the things that we did um after she retired, again, as I say, she still worked after she retired. she was going all over the country writing and and lecturing and things of that nature. but uh, from 89 to two thousand and eight, we did it even after she passed. We started a Dorothy Porter Wesley Lex, Lexa, lecture series there at Howard, and we brought in librarians that um, were in the field, currently in the field, and to each one talked about how she had helped them. Uh, in there, as they were going through their careers. So she was phenomenal. And, um, some of the people that she, uh, helped was, uh, uh, we had Clara Stanton Jones. We had, uh, E.J. Josie, who I talked about earlier, who was a student there in the 40s. uh, and he became, uh, with the, Black Caucus of the American Library Association. We had Hardy Franklin, who at that time was uh, head of the of the uh, D.C. Public Library System. And even after she passed, we continued um, with that series up until 2008. Uh, But everyone talked about the fact that how she helped them uh, as they were progressing through their careers. So again, she was not as she wasn't selfish. She was really a person that if she knew you were trying to do research, she would she would uh, do what she could to help you. Sounds like a researcher's dream. Oh yes. Oh yes. She was just phenomenal. She was just phenomenal. And again, some of the organizations that she worked with, uh, and as I told you earlier, the association for the study of um, Negro life and history, that's what it was called. Then it's called the association for the study of African-American life and history. Um, she published a lot in their journal, the uh, journal of uh, Negro history and the uh, Negro history bulletin, um, just did phenomenal things. Um, and again, when she joined the organization, she also became a member of their executive council. So she was there every year at the conference. So uh, usually giving a paper or either helping someone else uh, with their research so they could do papers at the conference. So she was... Um, just phenomenal in 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 things that she would do she reviewed manuscripts for the associated publishers um and again, as they celebrated uh what was Negro history week then she would go out to the schools she would get materials uh, and take them to the schools so that the, that the students could study uh, could know about their about their history so um another organization she worked uh worked with was the african studies association uh she um Started working with them, and she worked on their libraries and archives committee. And um, one of the things that they did uh, to honor her was to establish what was called a Canova Conno- Porter Award, and it honors two uh, people that did bibli- bibliography: was Helen Helen Canova and of course Dorothy Porter. So uh, she worked with them. She worked with um, the American Antiquarian Society. She, uh, went to the, she was, became a member of the society in 1970. And, uh, but she had also been working there, uh, with them. The librarian let her come in back in the thirties when she was working on her, um, theses. And, um, and she did an article where she mentions them, uh, an article called library resources for the study of Negro life and history. She talks about how they helped her, the American antiquarium society, uh, helped her with materials, uh, that she was doing for her own research. And as I said earlier, she, uh, the, uh, Black Caucus of the American Library Association, uh, she was one of their members. Uh, she was on, the, on the, worked on several committees and they also gave her awards as well. And one of the awards was, um, she be- received that first Trailblazer award, um, uh, in 1990. So, um, again, she just worked with everybody that she could to uh, To help them get their research done, and to do research herself, and as as you see in the book, uh, there's several pages of materials that um, that she used and um, that she published, so that she could get her uh, to to get the word out of black black about black history.
0: Mm-hmm. So we would be remiss because we've talked, about, talked the about the collections that she worked, that she worked with, but, with, but uh, we've not talked about her, her collection. collection. So what so, was your experience well, with the piece sources piece available about Porter, and in particular the archive at Yale?
1: Well, the last chapter in the book talks about the archives. Um, uh, her daughter auctioned off. Uh, so the daughter had the, had three collections. She had Dorothy Porter Wesley's collection and she had uh James Porter's collection, who was her, her father and Dorothy's first husband. And she also had Charles Wesley's collection. Um, and she moved most everything to, she moved everything to Florida and, um, but, uh, later on, she decided that she would auction off the materials. And of course, they went to three different places. Uh, James Porter's collection went to Emory. Um, Charles Wesley's collection went to his uh, fraternity, the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. And, um, and Dorothy Porter's collection was auctioned off to Yale University. Um, I was up there for a week and there were 137 boxes of material, but it was unprocessed. And, uh, so it was a little hard going through it. So I was only able to get through about 18 of those 137 boxes. So one of the things I, I say about this is that, about this book is that it's just a glimpse into her life. A scholarly book cannot be done on on, on Porter until that collection at Yale is processed and uh, so that you can really get an idea. Because I know I missed a lot of things. So, uh and I really hate that I did miss a lot of things, but I just wanted to get a glimpse uh just to honor her, but uh the collection was unprocessed, so although you know you might find a box that said uh night uh, of materials from nineteen fifty four to sixty four you might find materials in there that was from the thirties or the forties or the seventies, so uh it was just a, uh and sometimes you'd find photographs in the collection, you'd find, you'd find a little bit of everything in the collection. So again, the collection will need to be processed before a really scholarly treatment. And I'm really hoping that uh, either a library student uh, that's doing a dissertation or someone that's doing a book and needs tenure will come back and really give uh, a Dr. Porter Wesley the scholarly treatment that she deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I uh, met one of the students there who was working on a paper Uh, for her class. So, uh, we talked because when she was asking for boxes on, on, on what I had them. And so she came over and so we had a, a talk about her and, uh, and, uh, one of the things that we, we talked about was the fact that it was, uh, an unprocessed collection. And because Dorothy was so instrumental in helping other people get their collections organized mm-hmm. and, of course, organize the collections at, at Howard. And she, she was a little bit surprised that, uh, this collection had not, that it was not better organized. But, um, I think she was so busy. Again, she was still busy She's writing.
0: Working always, yeah. So,
1: uh, and, uh, and I can understand that because, I'm in the same position. I don't have anything near as much as she does, but, uh, I don't have my own stuff collect, uh, organized either mm-hmm. because I'm still writing. So, uh, I, I can kind of understand how Dorothy, uh, Dorothy Porter was because, uh, you're so busy trying to do the research that, you just don't get a chance to really organize your own materials. And uh we even found some dental floss in the, in one of the, uh, in one of the boxes and the look and the young lady was saying, you know, she was just so surprised that, that the collection was not, not better organized, but, uh, uh, that, that when it came there. So, uh, again, uh, I am hoping very, very seriously that this collection gets, um, a uh, process in the next couple of years so that, um, she could be given a really a good treatment, but this is at least a start. Yeah, and sure. Uh, sure. that was what I wanted to, uh, to get out, especially, uh, because of the 100th anniversary. I really wanted to, to, to honor her, uh, because of the fact that the hard work that she did. And, um, usually, um, one of the things I, I when I talk about, about her, when I'm ending, um, uh, my talk, I, I give a couple of quotes. Uh, one is from, um, from Thomas Battle, who was, um, director of the Morgan Spingarn Research Center, uh, who we got a, a few years ago. Um, and he says, um, and he talked about her influence on the staff. And he says to MSRC staff, the patron was not just a patron. There was no, there was so much shared interest. There were always a staff member interested in the subject area of a visiting patron. Staff did just, did not Ooh. point a person to a book but they became part of that person's research. She said, Dorothy advised the patron by sharing her own intellect. And this continued on with the staff that came after her. And he goes on to say um, about the collecting. He said, those of us who know how difficult the task is of documenting a people's history, realize and appreciate the extraordinary success Dorothy Porter Westley achieved in times far more difficult than those we face today. She built a house and we are its caretakers trying our best to deserve the wonderful legacy she left behind for this and future generations. And I think um, John Bracey, who is a professor at um, University of Mass Amherst, says it best about her and her support of, of people. And he says, Dorothy Porter, without much deserved support, financial or institutional, but with much love, insight and energy, Nurtured, maintained, and expanded one of the world's greatest collections of manuscripts and print materials on the African American experience. We as scholars and guardians of that experience owe Dorothy Porter a debt that we could never repay fully. We owe to her memory the obligation to try to carry on her work and legacy to the best of our abilities. So again, she was such an influence on so many people. And I think she's still an influence. One of the things that uh, Battle also talked about was the fact that he wanted her influence to trickle down to folk today to know that what she did in this collection was and and made it such a valuable collection uh, still today.
0: Well, thank you so much for talking about this with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I've been talking today with Janet Sims Wood about her new book, Dorothy Porter Wesley, at Howard University Building a Legacy of Black History. I'm Oline Eaton. This is New Books and Biography. Thanks for listening.